Thank you for visiting Open Life today. We're glad that you took time out of your busy week to join in with our service. If you're listening online or through the Open Life Church app, I need to point out two things for your benefit. The first is that we have our notes conveniently placed for you to follow along with the passages and points mentioned in the talk. The second thing I would like to point out is our connection card. If you fill this out while you are listening, it not only lets us know you visited us today, but also allows you to communicate any prayer requests you may have. We will be sure to take time to pray for them during the course of the week. If you are listening on iTunes, you can always visit us online or download the Open Life Church app to get in contact with us. Wherever or however you are with us today, we are glad that you are here. Now let's join today's talk. If Christians gave just this one area, just financially, the way that Jesus would want us to, it would have such an amazing effect on the whole world. And I'm not just talking about all the people we could help, you know, and feed and get them the water and everything else. I'm talking about the cynicism that we see towards the church in the United States. Flying out here, person next to me, just why does he reject God? I've seen it all. My buddy that came with me sat with another guy. Why doesn't that guy believe in God? Same type of thing. Everyone's pointing to these believers who, yeah, he calls himself Christian, but I don't see anything. They don't see a compassion. They don't see a love. They see us say that we hold to certain beliefs and a certain theology, but they don't see us really loving people to the point where we give to them sacrificially. And I think just that one thing, because the world loves their money so much, that it really is shocking to them and a light to them. And they go, you really don't care. You just gave that away joyfully. You really believe you're going to be rewarded in the next life. Like, you know, whether they believe it or not, at least now they're rejecting a, a true example. Um, right now there's just, people laugh at what we call church, what we call Christianity. And so if we could get churches to really seek to live out this kind of loving, generous giving, I think it's going to have a huge impact on the world. Right, a little bit different of a video intro than we normally do. Um, if you don't know who that is, that guy's name is Francis Chan. And so you know how people listen on the radio sometimes in the car or, you know, in, in their home, and they're like, let me turn that up. You know, that's my jam. Like, I got to listen to that song. You know, do you do that in the car? I do that in the car. Um, usually probably something Taylor Swift or something, you know, just, you know, that's my jam right there. Um, but... If you're talking about authors or, um, you know, a pastor that I like to listen to speak, Francis Chan, that's my jam. You know, that's like when I read his books or hear a message that he preached, um, I just find it really challenging um, to kind of apply to my life to understand how can I live and be more like Jesus. If you've never read the book Crazy Love, he's the author of that. And so I encourage you, if you're looking for a book to read or you don't read often and you want to get into it, I'd encourage you to read Crazy Love because it'll challenge your faith in Jesus and I think you'll end up being more like him after you read it. More like Jesus, not like Francis Chan. But, I mean, you might be more like Francis Chan because I think Francis Chan's kind of like Jesus, I imagine. So you know what I mean. But we're, so today we're talking about generosity. And so I wish... And I, I really wish I could be like Oprah up here and say, and now look under your seats 
because you have keys to a new car, and, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. I think the best I can do today is because it's our connect party is you get a donut, you get a donut, you get a donut. So enjoy the donuts after church today. Um, that's the best impression of Oprah that I can do. You know, I didn't try very hard, but so connect with us after service. I'm going to do my best to end so we're done. So it's a true 10-minute party. Um, but you guys all know how that goes. So Anyway, we're, we're in Luke. We've been walking through Luke. And just so you guys know, if you if you've, like, just took the whole book of Luke and held it in your Bible at home, um, you know, I know some people have electronic Bibles, so you could hold your whole phone. But if you had a paper Bible with you, you could hold it up. We're getting towards the end. We're in the home stretch. So I think there's only like five more weeks we're going through this. And so it's exciting. So hopefully as we've been reading um, the stories of Jesus in Luke, that you've been able to start to connect. Oh yeah, I remember we talked about that before. This is similar. This is kind of the same. So we've heard Jesus talk about generosity. We've heard Jesus talk about how we can love other people and love one another. And so today is just another example of that story. And so we're going to jump into Luke 21, um, 1 through 4. So it starts off like this. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small coins, copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, the poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And so someone say that this is where we get the expression, like, I'm going to put in my two cents, or I'm going to give you my two cents. And so the title of today's message is My Two Cents. So basically, what we're going to be talking about today is what do we have to give Jesus? What do we have to give to be generous? What do we have? How does generosity apply to our lives and how we live our lives? And so I, I just, you know, I put myself in all the position, all the characters of this story. I put myself in the position of the rich people because I don't give two pennies and that's all I own. So that's the first person I can relate to is the, the rich people Jesus is talking about. Oftentimes I give my offering, it's out of my wealth. I don't give all that I have. But then I think about, well, how, how can I apply the poor widow and understand that for my life? The poor widow has two cents, and Jesus says that's all she owns. She's giving everything she has, and she puts it into the offering. That's challenging. And then you think about Jesus, and you're trying to understand, like, I, like, I get it, you're being super spiritual, Jesus, but... What are you really trying to tell us? And so I'd like to think if Jesus were here right now, like let's just, you know, for the, just for my benefit, if he just appeared in flesh right next to me and said, Jaden, I want you to give all your money in today's offering. If Jesus himself asked me to do it, if like I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was Jesus and he's asking me to do it, so I'm going to put my trust in him, my faith in him, my hope in him, would I do it? Could I do it? And that's the challenging. That's, that's the kind of, when we read Scripture, when we pray about Scripture and figure out how can we apply it to our lives, sometimes we have to ask ourselves and put ourselves in extreme situations to think about how far is our faith willing to go. And this isn't to say, if honestly, we can be honest. That's the cool thing about Jesus is we can be honest. And it's okay if some of you said, no, that's crazy. But it's a way for us to be challenged and a way for us to understand 
the message of Jesus. The big idea today is that Jesus wants everything from us. It's a pretty simple idea, but it's so true, and sometimes we don't give it enough credit, is that Jesus actually wants everything that we are. He doesn't just want your money. He doesn't just want, like, you to say that you love him and that you've spiritually chosen to follow him. He wants everything in your life to be changed. He wants everything that, that you're about. He wants everything for you to give it to him and say, God, do what you want with my life. It's this consuming love that Jesus has for us that he died on a cross for us, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and three days later rose again. That's an all-consuming love. That's an all-consuming desire that Jesus has for, for people like you and people like me. And because of that love, because of that desire, he, he doesn't just want you to make a decision so that you get to go to heaven after you die. He doesn't just want you to just make a quick decision. He wants you to change your life when you follow him. And so sometimes I think because of our lives and we think, well, I'm not God. I don't have the power to change my life. And that's true. We don't. But through Jesus, through choosing to follow him, through following his teachings, we begin to receive the power of the Holy Spirit when we choose to follow Jesus. We have the power of Jesus himself flowing in us so that we can live all for him, giving up all that we have, giving up all who we are. So that our, our identity isn't anything that culture or this world would tell us who we are. But our, our true identity, our true self, now becomes what Jesus thinks of us. What Jesus' love thinks of who we are. And so when we think about that fact, when we, if we were really to just think about today, God, how do you see me? Is that how I'm going to choose to live my life in that knowledge? Versus thinking, man, kids at school think I'm a loser. Or my wife just thinks I'm an idiot for some of the things I do. Or my kids don't look up to me. Or my coworkers hate me. They don't want to talk to me. They just leave me alone. They don't, like, they don't even associate with me. If we begin to live our lives out of those facts, they're not truths, they're lies. But if we live our lives thinking that that's the truth, then we're going to go down a path we don't want to go. But if we choose to live our lives knowing that Jesus wants all of us, he wants everything in us, he gives us our identity and who we are, then our lives are changed and our lives are different. And so the big idea is Jesus wants everything from us. You know, we read back in Luke 14, 26 through 33, this is what Jesus says about being his disciple. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Strong, challenging stuff again. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus continues, he says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to contemplate it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples." 
And so I'm personally counting the cost of something in my life. I just moved into a house, and I have a yard now. And so I'm beginning to count the cost of having green grass. <laughs> I, it's been a week, and it's the, all of a sudden, like, my yard is the bane of my existence. It's like, do I really, and I don't have a sprinkler system, so it's like, uh, do I just set out the dumb, like, back and forth sprinkler? So I'm going out there, like, every 20 minutes to try and move it around, and of course the landlord had the timer things, the really nice timers and multiple hoses. Well, the day we move in, he comes and takes them away from us. So I was like, awesome. So now I have two hoses, and I'm running around, like, the whole yard for, like, two hours, like, trying to time the water right and correctly. But water's expensive. Then I have to buy sprinkler heads. And so I'm deciding, I'm counting the cost of understanding if I want to have green grass. And Jesus in the same way, not the same way, but uh, he's saying, you got to count the cost if you're going to be my disciple. There's going to be things that you begin to do because you love me, and not all of them are going to be easy. But Jesus count the cost. And so Jesus is inviting us to follow him and be his disciples, but he's going to ask for everything that we have in the process. And that's where our lives have to turn from having our, everything we own, everything we have, all that we think we are in clenched fists. And when we choose to follow Jesus, that's when we open it up and say, God, do with me as you will. Do with me what you want to do in my life. And so the, the first thought we're going to talk about in the story of this poor widow is that Jesus was a terrible math teacher, if you think about it. Jesus was just terrible at math. We, when we read the story of the poor widow giving her two cents, and we hear Jesus explain that she gave more than the people who gave, you know, out of their riches. And you're like, no, she didn't. You know, like, the people who gave out of their wealth obviously have more money. They gave more than two pennies, more than two cents. And so it's like, Jesus, what are you talking about? And it reminded me of a time in, while I was in college during the summer when I didn't have classes. I, was, I lived with a family while I was doing an internship. And um, they, they had young kids um, who were still in school because college got out early. And so I was in charge of like babysitting these two little boys um, one afternoon, and I got, I got to help them with their homework. And so one of the boys was learning how to count coins, like learning how to count money and understand what's a penny, what's a nickel, what's a dime, and just figuring out like simple math problems. Let's just say I'm not a teacher. <laughs> like I'm, that's not one of my strengths, at least teaching children math, simple, basic math. And so I think Probably this kid still thinks that actually two pennies is more than someone giving uh, an offering out of all of their wealth because I think I totally screwed him up. Uh, I was like, it was like banging her head against the table. Okay, like, so let's put five pennies. How many pennies are here? Uh, eight. I'm like, uh, okay, um, okay, what can I say? But sometimes I think that's the picture we have of the disciples just sitting there like, Jesus. That's what, like, what are you saying? You're saying that this woman who gave two pennies gave more than the people who gave out of their wealth. Like, talk to me about that. But we don't really get the explanation. And so we're left trying to figure out the spiritual side of what Jesus is trying to teach us. 
But this is just another example. If so when we've been going through Luke, this is just another example of the message of Jesus kind of turning the tables on normal thought and normal ways of thinking. It's hard for the rich to give, yes. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus makes it clear in this story. Some people will only give their set amount of wealth that they have, just because how could I give God more? If I'm already giving a lot to God, I don't need to give him more. But then we read that, that this woman gave just her two pennies, all that she had. Think about that. If you only have two pennies, if that's all you have, don't you think you're going to hold on to that pretty tight? Even though it's just two pennies, I'm sure this woman thinks, well, I have to start somewhere. I need to start saving. I need to start holding on to stuff. But yet we see Jesus explaining that she holds her possessions with an open hand and she gives her offering. And in God's economy, someone who's willing to give up what they prize most is giving more in the grand scheme of things than someone who's just giving out of their wealth a set amount that they don't even care about. That's not even going to affect their bottom line. Not even going to affect their budget. And so what we need to understand is that the level is always going to be set at everything for everyone across the board. There's no set amounts where if you, if you give this certain amount of money, then you're a good Christian. If you give this, you're a greater Christian. There's no levels. We're all at the same level, and it's all set at Jesus wants everything. That's the consuming love that Jesus has for us that he wants all of us, and he wants us to live in that deep, strong relationship with him where we choose to give him everything as well. But this is similar to other things we've read about and other things, things that just kind of blow our minds. We read back in Luke 9, 46 through 48, a story. It goes, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Really, Jesus, the least among us is the greatest? I do not understand. How is two pennies greater than someone giving out of their wealth? But it's just another thing of Jesus teaching us, the least is the greatest in the kingdom. If you give all you have, it's better than someone who is actually giving more than you in, in actual tangible things. And so in a world of likes, follows, retweets, and favorites, it's easy to think that our status, our social standing, if I'm thinking, I'm greater than this person, Jesus says, no. If you're thinking that way, then you're not. Because the least in the kingdom is the greatest. But Jesus also teaches us how to suffer Luke 6, 20 through 26 says, Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leave for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets." But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. 
And so if you're not challenged by those words that Jesus just said, if you're not challenged by those woes he was doing, maybe we need to read a little harder. He says, woe to you who are rich, well-fed, who laugh, who people speak well of. I think I hit almost all four of those things. Woe to me, because blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger, blessed are the weak. And so if I'm not challenged by what Jesus is saying, if I'm not challenged to give up everything, all that I am, then I'm not seeing people who need the love of Jesus, who need to be strengthened and encouraged and loved because of what Jesus has done in my heart. Jesus turns the tables. He says, your way of thinking needs to be shifted. It needs to be changed. And all of this fits in with generosity. You know, it hit me like kind of like really hard this week. My mom, if you've been following along with what's going on with my mom, she had an MRI on Monday just to see where, if, the, if a tumor in her brain has uh, receded, has gotten bigger, if it's appeared. Um, and so, so, but we had to wait till Thursday to find out the results. And so there's this three days of waiting. And so it's just like, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about it until Thursday happens. That's just my, like, go-to phrase. You know, I'm not going to worry about it. And so I was getting ready to write the, the blog that we've been putting on to communicate with friends and family and just to post on Facebook and stuff like that. And that's, like, my role. I'm chief communicator of, like, my mom going through this sickness. And so as I was typing, I really just felt Jesus speak to me in the back of my head just saying, are you waiting for this MRI to be your comfort and your peace in this situation? And I think I said, yeah. Yeah. Because if the MRI comes back negative or not po- I mean, not positive, that's what I'm trying to say, I'm going to be pretty ticked off. I'm going to start to worry. I'm going to start to be anxious and just get really negative. But Jesus as I was reading these scriptures for this talk, where it says, those who depend on their riches for comfort are going to be let down. If I'm depending on an MRI or a doctor's appointment to bring comfort for my family, then I've really missed the mark on trusting in Jesus. And so it's not just our money, it's not just our finances, but if we're depending on relationships, if we're depending on a doctor's appointment, if we're depending on a job, a promotion, a pension plan, as like, I've made it, that's when, I, that's when things get easy. Then we're missing the mark on trusting in Jesus. Because he has peace for you now, he has strength for you now, he has comfort for you now in whatever situation that you're going through. And so moving on to the next thought is giving is a spiritual act, not a financial one. Watch this next clip. Jesus talked about money so much, so it doesn't make any sense to say, let's talk about spiritual things, not money. That's like, okay, so then Jesus wasn't real spiritual, <laughs> you know? And no, he talked about it all the time. It's, Jesus was, when you, when you look at the things that he would say to people, he was very concrete. See, we like, in, in America, we like to make spirituality almost um, something you can't measure. We, we make it very abstract. Like, oh, I feel this, God, he's just in me, I just know it. You, you know, and, and well, but 
where's the fruit, you know, where's the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know, the, the words that Jesus uses, the words that John uses, the words that James uses, is this like, well, you say this, you say this kind of ethereal, abstract, oh, I love people, but scripture would say, but if you love them, you wouldn't just say, oh, I love you, go warm and be fed. You would actually give them some food and put some clothes on their back. You would do something practical, something we could see. And, and you know, you, and, and at the same time, he says, you're not going to be like the Pharisees who do things just to be seen. And so we're not talking about that. But true, true spirituality is going to lead to some sort of action. Like I, I'm trying to think, it, it may have been Amy Carmichael who said, you can, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it comes down to. We can say, oh, I'm so loving this, that. Well, if you were, you would give. Giving is a spiritual act, not a financial one. That's, the, that's like the point I want you to understand. You know, some people have wondered, why did at Open Life do we do a giving talk at the end of every service? And I think it's, yeah, it's a valid question, but I've never had someone ask, why do you guys pray at every open life service? No one's ever asked, why do you worship during every service? No one's ever asked us, why do you have someone read the Bible and talk about it at church? And so I think what we need to understand is if giving really is spiritual, it's not weird that we give our offering every, every Sunday, that we talk about giving. And so, because when we think about prayer, worship, both our songs on a Sunday, but also in our daily life, when we talk about reading scripture, all of those are spiritual acts we practice, practice to go in our, to grow in our relationship with God. And so at Open Life, we encourage those things and want people to grow in their love for Jesus. But as Francis said in that video, you can't love without giving. If you love Jesus and you say, yeah, I pray, I worship, I follow Jesus, but you've never given to, like, to, to prolong the cause, to help the cause out, then you're missing something very tangible, a spiritual act in your life, and it's something you're holding on to that you've chosen not to give. We believe giving and generosity are spiritual acts of worship to God that profess our love to Him. Generosity is no more and no less important than prayer, scripture, and worship. Hold any of these things higher than the other, then you're going to have an unbalanced walk with Jesus. If you're just all about worship and you choose never to open your Bible or to give in an offering or to even pray, but you're just, I'm just all about the songs and worshiping, then you're going to have a really warped view of Jesus and you're only going to feel all the time. And then when you don't feel good things, your faith is going to go off the rails. If all you do is pray, but you never get into a moment of corporate worship or listening or being in your word, and you're just going to pray, you're going to start thinking God's telling you to do weird things because you don't know how to apply it to Scripture. And if all you do is read your word, all you do is just read like the Bible all day long and just never prayed about it, never worshipped corporately with other people, never gave, then you're going you're gonna to read and you're going to think God's telling you that this verse means not what it means to be, means because you've never applied it 
in through prayer. You've never applied it, bounced it off other people in worship. And also, if there's people out there who just give, give, give to the church, but never participate in anything else, I, let's be honest, I don't know a lot of those people, but if, if all you did was just give, then you're, you're just paying for a service and not participating in the work of the church and what Jesus wants to do through his people. And so we have a bunch of verses on the notes online and on the app and on your paper. I'm not going to run through all of those um, just for the sake of time. But in Genesis, that's where tithing started. And so if you don't know what the word tithing is, it's, it's, it's a word that means tenth or ten percent. And so that's what that, and it started in Genesis, before we hear of the law of Moses, of, of the law that Jesus came to fulfill, tithing was already being practiced. And so we read about that two times in, in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. It goes on through the prophets, and even God tells through a prophet, he says, test me in this, give me your tithe, and see that I will not bless you for being obedient in this area. And so God's speaking to his people, saying, just do walk in this act. And so then Jesus comes, and so then we're, we're left with this question. Okay, if Jesus came to fulfill the law, do I still need to give my tithe? Do I still need to give, like, that amount of money? And so the truth of the matter is, Jesus abolished all of it. So yes, there's no set limit. There's no 10% anymore according to the law, because that's legalistic and stupid. But my question for you today is if you look at Jesus' teachings, if you look at everything Jesus said about caring for one another, being there for other people, how can you not give? How can you say, well, the tithe was for the Old Testament, but now, now we don't live in those times. Jesus said, it's no longer the law that you do not commit murder. It's now, if you even think or hate your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. Jesus said, it's no longer, do not commit adultery. He's saying, if you lust after anyone, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So he's extending these teachings, and he's saying, it's no longer just an act. It's a lot bigger. It's a heart issue. It's a spiritual act. And so that's what we need to realize, is we, we, when we talk about at Open Life that we give our tithe, that we say, if you want to give your tithes and offerings— we say tithe not as a legalistic benchmark or a membership or a due that you have to pay to be a part of Open Life, but it's like a guideline. It's just a, it's a, an encouragement to say, you know what, like think about how much you're giving and let's grow in that giving. And Open Life has been the example in this on a very practical level. Every time that you give an undesignated gift, Open Life gives our tithe to our strategic partners. But we don't look at that as a legalistic, like, yeah, we just have to give the 10% and that's it. We sit in meetings in our staffs and figure out how can we help our community more? How can we give more to our strategic partners? We go to the board and say, hey, we have this great idea. We want to help give school supplies to an entire school. That's more than 10% of what comes into Open Life, and we do it. So if you looked at our past budgets, it's not a 10%, although that's our, our policy, our encouragement, is to always give 10%. We've chosen to give above and beyond the tithe as an offering to this community and our strategic partners. The thing about tithing, the thing about giving, is if we're legalistic about it and we think, yeah, I just have to give my 10%, I'm done, or I have to give my 5%, whatever it is, 
then giving and tithing becomes a tip. Just like I would go to a restaurant and say, here's your 15%. I don't care if you were good. I'm not going to be the guy who doesn't give to the server. Here's your 15%. Thank you for your service, whether it was good or bad. If we're legalistic about giving, our tithe, our giving, our 10% becomes a tip. God, thank you for your service. Thank you for dying on the cross. There's your 10%. There's your tip. I was just going to give it to you anyway. Whatever, you know? But it's a heart issue. It's something that we have to grapple with. We have to understand is that giving comes out of our heart and our love for Jesus. And if it's not that, the verse in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 9 says, Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give out a compulsion. If you're going to give because you think you're being forced to, then wait until you're ready to do it out of your heart. If you're reluctant to give, don't give until you're ready to make it as a byproduct of your love for Jesus. And if you're not there yet, grow in your relationship with Jesus until you start to truly value what he has done for you. Because Jesus wants everything, all that we are, and all that we live for. Finally, the third, well, one scholar puts it this way, just to sum it up. He says, one wonders if God would require less than the Old Testament tithe for New Testament people. We are New Testament people. We live in the grace and the love of Jesus. One has to wonder if God would require less than the Old Testament tithe. So it's challenging. It's something that we have to think about constantly. The third thought today is let's allow Jesus to change the way we think. And so we've talked a lot about how Jesus comes into this time in history and he turns the tables on normal thought. He says things like, the person who gave two pennies gives more than the person who gave out of, the wealth, out of their wealth. The person who is the least, least among you is actually the greatest. And so there was actually a time where Jesus turned the tables, like physically. We read it in Matthew 21, 12 through 15. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the teacher of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the Son of God, they were indignant. Of course, the teachers of the law and the high priests were indignant. Are we indignant to Jesus turning the tables of thought in our own minds? When Jesus wants to do something in us to make us maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable, but like totally awesome, do we get indignant? Like, the temple was a place where God actually dwelt. And here his son is inside of it. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law didn't even see it. They didn't see him. Are we indignant with what Jesus wants to do inside of us? 
If you've chosen to follow Jesus, you have Jesus inside of you, living, helping you to live more and more fully in relationship with him. But are we indignant when he wants to change our hearts, when he wants to change our minds for us to live more like him? Romans 12, 1 through 2 puts it perfectly. He says, Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed, kind of like, let the Jesus turn the tables in your mind. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The truth of the matter is that Jesus wants to do in our hearts and minds, that's what he wants to do inside of us, is he wants to turn the tables of maybe some of the ways we think. So that if we are waiting for an MRI, and I forgot to say, but my mom's MRI came back so-so. We're going to wait for another MRI in two months. And so we're left waiting. But my comfort doesn't come from an MRI. It comes from the Lord. So if you're waiting for, to get to that mark so that you can hit retirement, and that's going to be your comfort. If you're waiting for something to keep coming and say, that's when I'm going to arrive, then we haven't chosen to live for Jesus. If you're waiting for every paycheck and you say, well, once that hits, then I'm going to be okay. That, then, I, then I can actually like, live. I don't have to be so worried about stuff then our worry is being misplaced. We need to give our worry to Jesus and let him transform our hearts and our minds. If we're worried about our friends at school or on social media, about how many likes we're going to get, or if we post a good enough picture, or if we say something good enough so that people will like it or share it or whatever, are we getting our identity from Jesus or are we getting it from the wrong things? Are we choosing to get our comfort from something other than Jesus. And so that's the challenge today. The action steps for today are identify the tables in your mind that you need to let Jesus turn inside of you, whatever it is. Today we talked a lot about giving. If that's what it is, then maybe today's the day you give for the first time. During reflection, take a giving envelope, whatever it is, stick it in there, go online, whatever is easiest for you, but maybe that's your step. And so the second action step is to analyze your generosity. We're all called to know how much we give, but then to grow in that. It's not a benchmark. It's not a 10% and then I'm done. It's a 10% and God, you know, help me to keep growing in this. And then finally, let your mind think differently. Something I've been challenged to do is, God, let me take really seriously the things that you find most important and let me let slide the things that in the grand scheme of things don't mean anything. And so God's been slowly making a new priority list of things that I really want to live for and do in my life. But it's a slow process sometimes. But we just have to be willing to let God speak to us and move through us in, that, in those aspects. God, let my mind be changed. Let me think differently about these things. So let's pray together. God, we just come before you and we say thank you for what you're doing in all of us. Thank you for just 
showing us in our hearts and in our minds the things that you want to change inside of us, the things you want us to do, God. Lord, we come before you today and we say, if we haven't chosen to give, if we've just never done that spiritual act, God, I pray, Lord, that we would find the value of it and be changed in our hearts to want to do it. We don't want to give reluctantly. We don't want to give out of, of being pressured or forced to do it, God, but we want to give because you want us to give and there's worthy things that you're calling this church and us as a people to pursue in this community. And so I pray, Lord, that you would just show us those things, that we would choose to be led by you, that we would hear you speak and actually do what you tell us to do, God. Lord, be with us in prayer. Be with us as we worship. Be with us as we read your word, God, and let us never hold anything more highly than we ought. God, walk through us today. In your name, amen. You can worship with us, but just think about those things today. Think about how God's going to change the way that you're thinking about different aspects of your life. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about anything you heard during this talk or have a prayer request, you can fill out the connection card on our app or online at openlife.church. If you'd like to join the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can do this quickly and securely through the app by pressing the Give button at the bottom or on our website by clicking on the Giving tab. Open Life wouldn't exist without the consistent and generous giving of people like you. Finally, it's great that you had the chance to listen on the app, online, or through our podcast. But have you ever thought about joining us for a service? We meet every Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School at 10 a.m. This way you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing through your ears. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a great rest of your week.